Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 232. And I'm joined this beak, this beak, I've got a beak, there's no beak, I'm joined this week by Josh Weller, who's fantastic, He's he's been a mate of mine for years, I've known him for ages, we used to, I mean we talk about it all in the podcast, I won't go into it in great detail, but I heard him recently on the Hardcore Listing podcast, and then on Off The Beat and Track podcast, and on both of them, he was just so entertaining and articulate, but also f- f- funny, irreverent, but also a good lad, and I thought I've been meaning to have him on for ages. I need to to pull my finger out, so I did exactly that. Um, before we get into it, oh, there's a big announcement on this. He's kind of he's hinted details of it on social media, but this is the big announcement, so um, that's exciting too. I'm sorry if I sound distracted, but I'm recording uh, this on Friday, and I'm I'm sat on my bed, and the TV's on in the background, and. Um, I left it on as I was getting my kit to record and I wasn't really paying attention and Bargain Hunters started and uh, and Bez from the Happy Mondays is against Jarvis Cocker from Pulp on Bargain Hunt. That's weird, isn't it? That's a weird sentence. Am I? I wonder if I'm on drugs. I don't think I'm on drugs. But yeah, that's weird. Anyway, that's why I slightly... De- uh, de- Distracted. I mean, speaking of musicians and that, Josh is a musician. We've recently had Payday, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can go and support all the speech development artists and stuff. I mean, I talk on here. Josh, I recorded this with Josh the week after it had been announced that his band split up. And again, we kind of talk about how tough it is in the music industry these days. We do go in on Spotify. So yeah, but speechdevelopmentrecords.com is a good place to go and support. That makes me think as well, I had some angry people online this week. It was so funny, but people were proper angry. Um, I'll explain it to you now because it's it's funny to me, but some of you will probably get angry. I did a tweet, right? I've I've been having some gardening work done and the guys who were doing it um, have have kind of ghosted me a little bit. And that's fine. These things happen. But I thought... I was looking through to, tr- to try and find someone else good, and I was struggling. And I thought, oh, I'll do a tweet. And I did a tweet saying, look, anyone in the southeast who's doing, who does l- landscaping and astroturfing, if you want to hit me up and maybe do me a deal, you know, in exchange for some some posts, some some things like that on, on social media. And again, I didn't think about it. I then went off and g- got on with my day. And when I came back, there was fury online. Because people thought, number one, I was asking for it for free, which I wasn't. I was, I was saying a deal. I'm open to discussion on that. I'm from Essex. We love a barter. We love exchanging goods for goods, services for services. Um, and people were saying, yeah, yeah, well, you know, people think exposure's worth a lot more than it is. And I'm like, well, number one, I've not put a price on it. I've kind of said, look, have a chat. Come and have a look. Do me deal. And number two... I pay my bills off of exposure, off of um, the sponsors on the wonderful Distraction Pieces podcast and stuff like that. So it's one of them. I was like, I wasn't, I didn't see it as this horrible thing. The way I saw it, and I explained, um, and this gets funny as well, was, you know, I don't know if it happens around your way, but but in my part of Essex, if someone does like your, your, your roof, or your, uh, the example I gave 
Whereas if you have, if you've had your drive tarmac or whatever, then they'll give you some money off or something to, if they can can leave a sign there for a few weeks to advertise it to other people. And weirdly, I then after I'd posted that example, I walked around my mum's to go and see her for a, a meal that we were going out for, and she had a sign for the roofer who's doing a roof at the moment. I didn't even know she was having a roof done, so it was pure chance. But um, yeah, I gave that as an example, but people. Got angry because people get mad at, um, at unpaid internships and stuff like that, and I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, for me, all of those things are a case by case as a situation. I think it's terrible that people rip people off, but also I've done tons of stuff for free over the years, like loads. My, I, I literally on or, or even at a loss, you know, because it's a choice. Um, the example I was thinking as well was on my Distraction Pieces tour. I like, we headlined Coco, which is a big venue. But on the European run, I was running that at a loss, and I knew that because the fees, because I had a band who I felt deserved a fee, a set fee for every gig, not a varying fee, or I'll pay you when I can, a set fee for every show. And that meant that when we're in Europe, the fees are lower because it's smaller crowds. But, you know, I still had a tour manager I'm paying and a band I'm paying. So it's things like that. I've done stuff. I chose to do that at a a loss there. I've done, I featured on DJ Yoda. No, that's another example I thought of was Glastonbury. Glastonbury, because it's a better example, because it's Glastonbury. I've never played for free, but Glastonbury, every year I've played it, which is six or seven times, it's always been the 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 lowest pay I get of the festival season, because you kind of they trade a little bit off. Well, you're playing Glastonbury, you know, except for once actually. The last time it was paid well, but every other time it was a low paying one compared to other festivals. And it's a similar thing there. Was it in my thinking? It was a similar thing there. Again, I ain't asking for someone to come and um, astroturf my garden. For free, all I was, all I put up casually without even thinking was, you know, I'll do some tweets about it. I'll push your business again. Gardening is another one, particularly on Instagram. Woodwork, gardening, anything that you can post good pictures of. It's it's something that the social media is a good a good tool if you if you're good at that kind of thing. Um, all the the big table in the distraction pieces studio, I got off someone I just saw on social media, a, a woodwork company. CS, those things help. But anyway, that was all a wonderful drama, and people were furious at me and think that um, I want slaves, essentially. (laughs) I don't want slaves. I'm all right for slaves. I'm not even that into bargains. But no, the the reason that came to mind is I mentioned Spotify. Because I was thinking, I guarantee tons of these people who are getting angry at that have got Spotify, which essentially pays artists fuck all. Like a tiny amount, particularly small artists who are just as setting off. If you go on, if you Google the amount of songs unplayed on Spotify, but then equally, if you Google the songs that only have a hundred plays, if a song has had a hundred plays, they are going to get a penny if that. And let's imagine, for example, there's there's a few prices on iTunes, but let's imagine it's ninety nine p because we'll call that a quid and it's easier to round up. That means if that if if a hundred people had bought that track, then that artist would have made a hundred quid. Instead, they're making 
I mean, let's really push the boat around and say they've made a quid. That means for the exposure, the benefit of the exposure on being on Spotify, they're getting 99% off of what they would have earned. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, anyway, I just found it amusing because people got proper angry. And then I just ended by saying the, the deal still stands. I'll, uh, if you astroturf my garden, I'll wank you off. Um, but yeah, people get mad at this stuff. It It is what depresses me about social media a little bit. It's why I love the Patreon. And this isn't an intentional plug, but patreon.com slash pip. Over there, if I posted about it, I would have had some people giving some intelligent, articulate argument. Or, or not, sorry, I don't mean to say anyone wasn't intelligent. They were fine, but they would have been calm and reasoned. And the problem with other social media is the hour or two I was away from it, I came back and there was... It was a given now that I wanted someone to do tons of work for free. So that 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 I literally never said that anywhere. I said, "You can do me a deal." <laughs> I mean, free is pretty. It's a bit more than a deal, right? It's free. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was fun. But Patreon. Speaking of which. Help me pay for my AstroTurf. <laughs> That's a joke because all the money from Patreon goes into um, my business, which is how I pay for um, distraction pieces stuff, label stuff, all that, all that kind of thing, all creative endeavors. So I don't take – I've taken the same wage from that company for uh, – since I set it up probably eight or nine years ago now. I mean, I'll tell you, I take – a one thousand five hundred a month is, is my monthly wage, um, and I don't need a lot to to live off because I will because I'm always working. I'll pay for petrol on the company. This is a lot of information I'm sharing here, but yeah, I take a low wage because I've got low uh, living expenses. So the Patreon isn't m- m- me saying, "Oh, come and pay for my a weekly pizzas or whatever." It's 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 chipping in for. For podcast costs, you know, it, it will allow me in the future to, to travel, to, to, to visit people for a specific podcast, to offer to put people up in a hotel for, for a podcast and things like that. So, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. But, yeah, it's patreon.com slash Spirit, And that's what I say. And what I like, this is the rambliest intro ever. And what I like over there is that it is this kind of just a really friendly community and the fact is everyone who can see the stuff there has paid to see the stuff there so there aren't these people who are just getting pulled in by someone else commenting because again my argument is i understand how people could misinterpret that tweet but my argument is if you if you if you've followed me for any length of time you should kind of know i'm not a piece of shit so unless it's really clear that i'm making a piece of shit statement I think I get the benefit of the doubt here and there, you know, like if I then respond saying, oh, no, I'm not after anything for free, that you go, all right, cool, rather than, well, it certainly seems as if, what? And that's the beauty of over at the Patreon is you don't get any of those people who haven't followed or whatever else who just jump in because we love getting outraged. But, yeah, patreon.com slash Piff if you want to get involved in any of that goodness. And the Patreon lot knew that this podcast was was coming because every time I go and record a podcast I post the selfie I do on the Patreon so, so over there they get a heads up and also on merch stuff uh, we recently had some, some vinyl come out and some of the shoes come out 
and they sold out out within a short amount of time, uh, let's say. But the Patreon look good, got a heads up on that. So it's as I said, it's I mean it's it's only eighty p a month, mate, or a quid or whatever it works out at. Uh, as someone pulled me up saying you're telling everyone it's eighty p a month, and they actually they had tax on checkout or of of that or whatever else. And I'm like, all right, mate. Well, it might be a quid, it might be a quid a month then. All right, it might be one twenty a month. I mean, you can pledge. I had a beautiful thing at the end of this month where a lot of people up their pledge, which is is really nice because that means that they're they're feeling it's good value, even though it's just. It's just a pledge thing. But yeah, anyway, ramble, ramble, ramble. Let's let's hear Josh. I love Josh. He's great. If you enjoy this, I recommend him on other podcasts, but I'll come back at the end to, to do some plug in there. Um, this is episode 232 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Josh Weller. always lovely um there's a hum in the background of my life it's yeah absolutely fine I've, I've i've started rolling as is the traditional manner of of podcasts i'm i'm with josh weller how are you sir good mate how are you i'm good and i've led you into the, the basement of a club there's no windows there's no natural light no you feeling comfortable i feel i mean if it was four in the morning i'd yeah feel weird about it yeah but the, it smells like bleach the floor's not sticky yeah. Any sin that's going to happen tonight hasn't happened yet. Exactly. We're at the, the Queen of Hoxton, who are wonderful, who are this sister venue of the, the book club where me and Stu do our club night. They also have the Hoxton Bar and Kitchen where you've done two podcasts two. now. With, yeah. With, with Stu. And I've loved both of them. I oh, think thanks. I tweeted after the hardcore listing one. I genuinely think you don't get better value for money on a podcast than Josh. Because you're just... you're. You're passionate about what you're passionate about and you're articulate and, I don't know, I, I, I like you as a podcast guest. Oh, thanks very much. Um, obviously, we normally don't say nice things about each other. You can, you can like, chase it with an insult Yeah, or, 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 or that's it. I prepared a nice thing to say, which I've now got, I can chase with a slight insult. Was I, was, I was discussing last night um, with someone who wasn't aware of your stuff and I was just saying how... You're someone that, for some reason, you draw belief in you. And let me explain that. When, uh, when you were doing kind of more twee singer-songwriter stuff, I was like, this guy's amazing, he can do that. As soon as I heard you were doing a punk band, I was like, yep, he can do that. As soon as I was hearing all the different projects that we're going to talk about, I'm not sure how many we can, can get into, but there's a few <laughs> different ones. And at no point have I thought, oh, that seems a bit odd. Everything, like, there'll be stuff like, you, oh... Are you saying uh, tonight you're doing some stand-up, right? Is that the case? I, I am. Oh, I mean, yeah. I've, I've just dropped it in there out of nowhere. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, no, I, I, I've been doing open mics. It doesn't mean that I'm now a stand-up. Yeah. No, it's but that's just... it. It's, it's, it. And that was the thing. As soon as I heard that, I was like, yeah, yeah I can see that. And it's oh, a weird one. With, with J- Jordan Gray, who's a previous mm. guest who was on, on The Voice in Team Paloma, who, we, who we're both known for years. That's, I think, is that how we met? Yeah, I think it would have been. Did we meet about Paloma 10, Faith? 11 years ago. Yeah. A while I, back. Yeah, I found a flyer recently yeah. from a gig that we did with her. Yeah. And the lineup's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like yeah. you, me, Kate Nash. Yeah. Adele. Yeah. Eliza Doolittle. 
I'm, 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 I'm glad you're saying this because every it's, now and then I mention the days of gigging with all them and people are like, oh yeah, like as if I'm name dropping. But that was the kind of scene, wasn't that's it? it was just, up that's how it started, isn't it? Really, yeah. everyone was a kid, and everyone it, it, they were the just way, all up for. It's the thing is the way I put that stuff down to you know those moving to London and and kind of when you talk about it now and it sounds like you're name dropping. Really, what it is is when you're 18 and you do five gigs a week yeah. and there's five people on the bill every night. Exactly that. And, and there's, only, there's only 70 bands, 100 bands doing it. Completely. By process of elimination, some of them are going to become megastars. Yeah, and yeah. they're the ones that you're naturally going to remember the names of because yeah. you see them everywhere now. But yeah, so oh, what I was, I was going there is, is when I heard that a Jordan Gray, tall dark friend, was, was moving into stand-up, I was like, hmm... I don't know if that's, that's going to work. I've then seen her show. It's amazing. She, she did The Fringe this year. Yeah, was one of the big Edinburgh, successes right? yeah. of The Fringe. And did she got asked to do Late and Live once, which is like the real the fire pit of testing yourself. And she ended up closing it almost every night after that because she just smashed wow. it. So she's, again, but it's one of them where I heard that. I thought, oh, I don't know how that's, that's going to work. Whereas as soon as I heard, heard you were moving in that, I was like, yeah, I can, I can see how that would work. But... The, the, the further illustration of the slickness and the just adaptability is you did the slickest move of offering to bring uh, some uh, drinks today to cover up the fact that you were late. Um, and it, it's the smoothest move. I stand out the front thinking, where's Josh? And then I get a text going, do you want to drink or anything? It's like, I can't get angry at you being late well, now. Hang on it's a minute. Of, it's, it's, hang it's on like a minute. a few minutes. It was like six minutes. Yeah. I was on time and I thought... My pro- my thought process was I'm going to want a glass of water when I'm in there. The yeah. bar's going to be shut. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Then then they have to go behind the bar and then they you know, Yeah. No, I get you. So I just thought I I'll be six minutes late. It's a slick move. But it's I'll cover that. Like <laughs> Bar for him to get a drink. I I, I love yeah. it. But um, so let's kind of uh, the, there's so much I want to talk about and there's so much I've heard recently on on hardcore listing and off on Off the Beat and Track. Mm. And I think they're both great podcasts. And They are great podcasts. Stu is a, is a great man. You and Stu have got a bit of a there's romance a of going a, on. You've both a, been texting me about each other. We've both been texting each other are. about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, um, I, I've really enjoyed those two. I've, I, I've struggled with going on podcasts. Yeah. Because I don't really feel like... I mean, even this one, it's like... You know, you had Spike Lee on here. That's quite a drop-off today. Yeah. Like, that's quite a step down. Not at all, not but, at uh, all. But it's... I, that one was really, like, made me feel like, oh, yeah, this is actually when it's good, when you go on a podcast and it's just talking and it's comfortable. Yeah. And Stu's very, very good at, at making people feel at ease. And yeah. You know. And also, the, the, you know, the... Uh, hardcore listing and off the beaten track, the, the concepts of the two are both. It's the structures of them. It's yeah. what I love as well about... F- a films to be buried with a, yeah. a Brett's one it's like the beauty of all of them is because I turn people down on this podcast all the time and it's never an insult it's just do I think I'm the right person to get a 60 to 90 minute conversation mm. out of them and if I don't know their career well enough or don't feel enough of a connection I don't feel I'm the right person I've turned down some huge bands some some big rugby players all sorts of other stuff because I'm like right I'm not the right person for that whereas on any of those three podcasts, I would argue that they can l- literally have anyone because the format fills the time itself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you, as long as the guest picks something that they're passionate about, you're off at. It's of one the of the, It's like a 
It's like Desert Island Discs or a bacon sandwich. You just, yeah. You know, I mean, some, some things. Yeah. There's a reason the Big Mac is, has been around for 50 years. Completely. You know? Completely. I love it. But um, so uh, let's talk a little bit because, again, what we touched upon or what I heard, I'm not just going to re-go over the stuff from them podcasts, but I'm also not going to exclude anything that seemed interesting there because yeah. I'm not going to assume that everyone who listens to this uh, uh, listens to those shitty c-list podcasts yeah. as well as my a-list podcast this is yeah but you yeah. know i <laughs> would maybe say sometimes the biggest one isn't the best one well it's you know what i mean that's i mean the numbers say differently but you know it's 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 hard <laughs> to say um but then both of our careers would argue otherwise with, as well yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. if you look uh, the people that we've gigged with we're way better than Adele and Kate and all of them but you know we might not have we were a lot further gone. down the ladder <laughs> we are yeah. but um so what was interesting was I didn't really know much about your upbringing and where you grew up and where you lived and stuff like mm. that so what was your kind of well I was your movements um I don't, it was Mauritian mum yeah English dad so white dad black mum yeah born in uh Lincolnshire so I was born, right. and my, my dad was in the Air Force, so right. we moved around a lot when I was a kid. So he was a, I think at that point was a medic in the Air Force, so he was wow. in the Gulf War. Yeah. And he, he won some kind of medal, because they landed on an airfield that they'd been told to fly over. Right. That had been damaged, and they landed and saved a bunch of people, and right. didn't follow orders. I mean, the saved a bunch of people bit justified the medal then. It, Until it, then, I was like... They landed somewhere they were told not to and he got a medal. <laughs> but they went go-karting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They took a day off and went down the beach. <laughs> and uh, and the, he was in the Gulf War and then wow. uh, we moved to Malaysia. So my wow. dad went and worked for the Sultan of Brunei. Wow. Who had two wives. I think he still has two yeah, wives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Sultan of Brunei was at that point, mid-90s, was the richest man in the world. I think he was just Damn. about to be eclipsed by bill gates yeah and um i met him once we went to he, there's a there was a muslim i think it was maybe the end of ramadan maybe yeah. where he invited like all the air force people to the his palace yeah and it was very all the men get to meet all the men of the royal family wow yeah, and all the yeah, women yeah. get to meet all the women yeah and then we went into this room where he gave everyone money <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it was like what a little room to go. I in. was only four or five, five or six. I remember it very clearly. And he, the Sultan of Brunei, he didn't give it out, but his minions handed everyone a tray with like some sweet treats and then like $10 in the middle. Right. Genuinely, something. the exciting thing back in the day of, of going to visit my dad's mum and dad in Streatham yeah. was they had a little jar that had sweets and you could take a handful as much as you could get in hand. And then later on, they had a jar that had, I think, five peas in. And it was the same thing. You can take as much as you can get in one handful. Five, so, five peas? Yeah, yeah. Only five pea coins? Only five pea coins, yeah. Oh. So it's this. So, so it's still going to be, it's not going to be a huge amount, but it's, it's exciting. Because you're like, yes, I've got a load of my. It was the same with my, with my auntie in, in uh, Romford. So my family's all from Romford, and, we, yeah. and it was uh, my mum's family, and uh, it was penguin bars. Right, yeah, So yeah, my, yeah, my yeah, auntie yeah. had this little cupboard that was full of chocolates. Yeah. And then when I was sort of six years old, realised, got wise to where the cupboard was, and there was, you know, Cadbury's roses are in a blue box. Yep, yep. And then one time I stole oh, the, wow. the bo- blue box of chocolate roses, yeah. but it was a box of J-cloths. 
<laughs> so I like snuck it in my bag. Beautiful. Got back home. It's karma. Had to, had to do some yeah. cleaning. I love that. That even when you become the richest man in the world, that that process remains the same. It's just we'll give him some sweets and some money. <laughs> he, the son of Brunei. Some coins. The, the son of Brunei's brother was cut off from the royal family because he right. was spending half a million pounds a week. Oh damn! And he had three yachts. Yeah. Right. The names of his yachts when they cut him off were nipple one, nipple two, and tits. Brilliant. And that's a, you can Google that. What a dude. That's what an absolute odd, dude. What a, if you're going to spend your brother's oil money, <laughs> just do it. it inconspicuously. I love it. Nipple one, nipple two, and tits. Yeah. That's, it's beautiful. I like that he probably didn't have a name for the third one as well. It sounds like he ran dry on ideas, doesn't yeah. it? Nipple one, nipple two. Oh, shit. Um, tits. Tits, I guess. <laughs> Fanny seems too crude. Um, tits. So, so how was that that life? Because that's something that you see in films. You mm. see the, the the military kids, the military brats, the military you know, the yeah. kids that, who who have their life in in one town and then move somewhere else. How was that to to grow up in? Uh, I think it's why there's a lot of making new friends. Yeah, I think I think in my adulthood, it's why I hold my friends so. Yeah. closely and I yeah, regard yeah, yeah. them as so important because I yeah. never because they were always changing yeah when I was a kid constantly evolving um, I and I think I mean it was a Muslim country so I learned a lot about you know when I, whenever I hear stories in the news now and it's like a couple have gone to jail for seven years for having sex on a beach in Dubai mm. I'm like well they that's a silly law yeah but equally if that's their law that's their law it's, it's a fascinating one it's, it's an it's, odd one it's so. fascinating to, to have grown up in those situations and then come here because it's easy for us to look down our nose or criticise and, mm. and rightfully so, yeah. so in places there's many misogynistic laws and very you know negative things in that way but there's also a lot of history in it and a lot of history in their beliefs and these and, and, and there's a lot of of, of, of good stuff there. I heard a guy, um, S- Sam Harris, I heard him doing a thought experiment on Russell Brand's podcast, I think it was. And Sam Harris is quite, he, or he loves American. He, he's, he's, to say he's anti-Muslim sounds attacking. Is he a, like a public talker? He's, it's him and Jordan Peterson and a few others, <laughs> academics who are kind of in this kind of area. And again, even with Jordan Peterson, there's some stuff of his I've heard him say that I think's quite good i think there's a load that just seems dumb and people don't argue it in intelligent managers manners and because he's calm he comes across the better but sam harris is is similar in that way and again a lot of stuff is quite fair and and quite right again i've got friends who are in the army and are quite in many ways are quite anti-muslim because they've seen their mates die at the hands of these things so you know it's hard to argue that I don't agree with it myself it's hard to argue that so uh, Sam Harris put forth this thought um, experiment to Russell Brand he said so you're saying that you support the integration of faiths and the the leniency of Muslims in this country and things like that you've got a daughter how would you feel about her going on a school trip and she goes and spends a month living in a strict Muslim com- country under the Sharia law and all that kind of thing. And Russell kind of, he, he rustles it a bit. He goes off on a different tangent, as, yeah. as Russell loves to do. I love him dearly. But, and again, the, I got that as a thought experiment. I got, right, yeah, you wouldn't want that 
for your daughter potentially because of these restrictions. But my argument that I was annoyed that, that Russell didn't make and no one made was it works the other way as well. If you've grown up in a strict Muslim company and the thought you're is, do you want your daughter to go to the West where women are sexualized constantly and, 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 and encouraged and pushed to wear skimpier clothing and be sexy and post stuff on Instagram and this kind of thing, you'd have the same. So while it's just it's different belief systems, it, it doesn't have to be you're right and you're wrong. It's like, well, there's a middle ground, right? It's this. The school I was in had a fence down the middle. And wow. It was, it was Muslims on one side and then all the others on the other. Wow. And that, I always... I remember, crazy, like, we, right? used to, we used to climb over the fence at lunch oh. break. I mean, we wouldn't go in their playground, but we'd, like, swap toys and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's just... I just judge every case on its merit. So, look, it does... Some people are nice, some people are idiots. doesn't yeah. matter what... And that, goes, that crosses into every faith, you know? Yeah. And, and again, it's, it crosses into different areas of, of society, right? Because from what I would imagine, at that time... Because you moved... How old were you? When, I was, you when we moved UK? back to England, I was, I think, eight, nine. So eight I was, I was nine. young when we moved there, four or five. And that would have been late 80s, early no, 90s? No, no, it was, it was 90. So we moved back in 90... I think we moved back in 96. In 96. Yeah. So even then, that would, I would imagine, possibly be the first time you experience some racism and stuff no, like that. Man, never, did, no, man, never, no. I didn't experience any... Oh, wait, do you mean in, in Malaysia? In no, no, no. Oh, moving, when you moved yeah, back yeah, to the yeah, UK. Moving back and that's, to England, that's kind of my yeah. thing. There is all these restrictions over here, but it's not as if yeah. we're playing from a perfect deck of cards over here. So well, we went you wouldn't from, have had... You don't get that much racism over, over in, in Malaysia. You, you get, again, conflict in belief and conflict in different... Yeah areas of belief but but racism isn't n- nearly as prevalent a thing right and as or you well i, I mean you, just saying, is, you didn't really experience I mean, any was, over there but it was a you know kid. it was a brown country and i yeah. was a little brown kid yeah, so it yeah, kind of, of made sense mathematically yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah. and then moving back thing is my you know my parents it's really funny like i was talking to someone about white privilege recently yeah and I was having an argument with a friend of mine who doesn't, who is white, who doesn't believe white privilege exists, right? It's crazy to me that you... And, uh, but to me, that's the perfect example of white privilege yeah, 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 as well. Yeah, yeah. But he was saying, and white privilege is, it is, it's a very base level term for something that's really complicated. Yeah. But we were talking about um, white privilege and I was talking to my dad about it recently. We went on holiday and we moved from Brunei mm-hmm. to oh, Suffolk. Yeah, man, that's a hell of a... <laughs> That's a hell which, of a trip. Which is insane when I think yeah. about it now. And I'd, my parents, also my parents never raised me to think about the colour of my skin. My mum yeah. was black, my dad was white. And it was never, ever mentioned. They never yeah. went, and, and actually, I think it was a really positive thing. I don't know if they did it intentionally yeah. or what, but like it was, my mum never sat me down and went, hey, look, I'm black, your dad's white. Some people view those two things differently and yeah. people are going to yeah. judge you weirdly when now we come back to it. It just wasn't mentioned. And, and there are pros and cons to having to fend for yourself in those yep. situations when it comes out of the other people. Of course, yeah. And uh, I was asking my dad about it, and I was like, did it ever cross your mind that, you know, when we moved from, you know, let's call it a brown country to a white country, mm. did, it, did it ever cross your mind that I would have experienced certain prejudices yeah. based on just the color of my skin? And my dad was like, no, I honestly never. And he was completely sincere. He's like, I'd never thought about it. Amazing. And I was talking to a, um, a friend the other night, and we were both talking about 
um, he's trying to date this girl, and he was like, she's never going to date a, a brown guy. And I'm right. like, of course she's not. Of course she's not. She's never going to... I mean, I know her. She's never going to date a brown guy. Right. And, and in both those circumstances, my, my friend, other friend who was there, who's white, was like, he went, oh, that's so weird. I've never thought about it like that. I've yeah. never even... It's never even crossed my mind that someone yeah. wouldn't date you because of the color of your skin. And then my dad as well was like, oh, it never crossed my mind that you might have experienced... And that is like... White privilege isn't necessarily walking past the bank and someone opening the door and offering you a £100,000 no, loan. exactly. And, it's, a, and it's not even saying that you've had a categorically privileged life but again i think always think the simplest example is if the first time you've had or felt challenged in that way is when someone online or someone is talking about white privilege Mm. then that does mean you've had somewhat of a blessed life if 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 the first time you've encountered it hasn't been someone shouting abuse at you in the street or someone across in the road when they see you a walk along. It was it was fascinating. I was, I was hearing. I think it it might have been Stu talking about it on on off the beat and, and track with you. What he was saying when he was growing up, there was the black kid at school, and he, he didn't mean to be racist, but it was that time. That's oh, he's the black kid. Yeah. And I have to concede that in my youth, going to Brixton for, for gigs was scary because mm. of the scary black guy drug de- like, again there was drug de- there was drugs being dealt there they happened to be black guys but for me as a young ignorant a white kid from Essex there was an extra scariness attached to skin colour which yeah. I've now grown out of and it's ridiculous yeah. but that was there that was something that was prevalent in the country at that point yeah. the, 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 there was an attachment and a yeah a, a prejudice d- decided by colour of skin and that's what white privileges because it's the opposite in that way exactly. it's the assumption that this kid's probably all right or not that bad and it's all like, well, my first three drug dealers were white <laughs> you know it's, it's like there's no Our, my, when color. i was a kid the the, the guy who did the, the like the our local drug dealer when i was a teenager was his his name was Ratface perv brilliant right? it's a white guy in norwich right <laughs> And his name he's, he was about four foot two, and his name was Ratface Perv because yeah. he was a little Ratface Perv. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And we, there was a house party, and some people had ordered some drugs. Yeah. And Ratface Perv shows up. He knocks. Up, someone he, he knocks on the door. It's not my house. I go to the door. I let him in. He comes into the living room, and I'm like, "Guys, Ratface Perv is here!" Right. And then he leaves the room, and then everyone just goes, "Dude, no one calls him that to his face." Amazing. <laughs> Amazing! You <laughs> just assumed it. Hey, it hey, was rat face perv. Oh God! But God, yeah, no, it, I, I I called the I called the police recently. I live in Bethnal Green, and I live opposite this. I mean, you could call it a park. It's a it's a level of of land that used to be green. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I saw these kids running out of it recently. They're about all about fifteen, sixteen. It was only six thirty, seven o'clock in the evening, and I was walking down Bethnal Green Road. And these kids run out of this park and one of them like readjusts his tracksuit bottoms and there's this huge 12 inch blade knife. Damn. I don't know if I talked about this on Stu's podcast and uh, I called the police and, you know, said, I'm not sure if this is an emergency. And the yeah. woman went, well, why don't you tell me what it is and I'll tell you if it's an emergency. And I went, well, there's a kid on Bethel Green Road with a, I tell like 12 inch knife in his in his trousers yeah. and the woman just paused and went yeah that's definitely an emergency yeah, yeah, where yeah. is it 
I told them where he was. <laughs> I told then, you, in his trousers. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid, we lock eyes. Right. And I was like, oh, fuck's sake, shit. And uh, so I basically ran across the road and hid in the pub. Wow. And just watched from the window. And sure enough, like a few minutes later, the police came. Arrested Damn. Them. And uh, the, woman on the, the woman on the phone was like, what do they, they all look like? And I went, well, there's the, white, the one with the knife is white with ginger hair. He's got a friend, Caucasian, brown hair. There's two Asian guys, two black guys. And then I paused and went, I mean, it's kind of nice that the gang's multicultural really in a way. That's mix. progress. Yeah, genuinely. Yeah. It's a good mix. If they're going to mug me. Yeah. If, li- if, if you're going to write that into a TV show, that's, that's fair. It feels like that gang was written It was a very a 2018 yeah. gang. Yeah. 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 Which was great. Equality. Every cloud. So, so how was it finding yourself in, 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 in Suffolk? It's not the most... Um, I mean, it's not the most dangerous place in the world. It's not the most dangerous, but it's also not the most thriving and bubbling. And as someone who I've always known as, as a creative person in every way, in, in, in many different areas, mm. did you, how, how did that creative flame start when you were potentially in an area that didn't have that many... Did, did you have a lot of people to look around and go, oh, no. I want to be like him or like him? Or was it all in magazines and on TV? It was all going, TV, it was all music. I didn't really have any friends till I was, till I uh, got to sort of high school age yeah. and then made a couple of really good friends and had two much older friends that like, because all I was listening to at that point when I was a teenager was, you know, punk rock and, yeah. and hip hop. Yeah. And then I had two older friends that were super into jazz and, and, and classical music, stuff like that, and they kind of broadened my mind quite, quite a lot. That's wicked. Yeah. That's, that's so, yeah, so valuable so much to have. I, yeah. I always credit my, my years of working in HMV yeah. as really helpful for my, my musical knowledge cunning because in, then, in those days in HMV, you had a person who ran the classical section mm-hmm. who knew about classical yeah. shit. You had a person who ran the the jazz section who knew about jazz so you could rather than just walk into this 10 foot row of cds and pick something out you could talk to someone and go i like this and they'd be able to go oh you know that beastie boys sample yeah that's this guy yeah that might be a good place to start and things like that were hugely advantageous i've got i've got a tom waits tattoo yeah and i remember walking into hmv in norwich and just saying to the guy oh someone told me to listen to tom waits what do i do I love it. And this guy went, well, Real Gone is the new album. I'd recommend that. It's great. But I'd start, uh, there's three albums he did. There was Sawfish Trombones, Frank's Wild Years, and Rain Dogs. I'd start with those three. Start yeah. with Sawfish Trombones. If you like it, work your way forwards. Yeah. And that's what HMV like, was like in my day. I don't know day. his name. Whereas he, it was the dudes who were just into yeah. shit. We'd have that all the time. The HMV in Lakeside for a long while, I guarantee had the best stock in the country of alternative hip-hop from Minneapolis, yeah. from, from Rhode Isle, from, from, from New York, all that kind of thing. Because, again, I was, I was able to all of that yeah. stuff and go, let's get all the, all the Def Chuck stuff, all the Rhyme Sayers stuff, all the Strange Famous stuff. And, yeah. and it, was, it was in a weird day when HMV went into administration because yeah. I grew up in going to a record store called Sound Clash in Norwich, yeah. Yeah. which is where I used to buy all my hip-hop and all of my punk rock. And then when HMV went into administration... And everyone was like, you need to rally around the independent. I was like, they're not an independent store. They were like the giant enemy yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. No offense. Yeah, no, no. I completely <laughs> agree. They weren't an indie store. But when you started to then see the, the leader of CD sales becoming Asda or Tesco's, yeah. then you started to go, oh, 
HMV are all right. Or even, I mean, are we had a rivalry with a virgin, so my, like in the time I was working there, so my view is probably slightly warped, but my view was always that in virgin, you kind of just had dudes who were there stocking shelves. Yeah. And in HMV, you had dudes who were ordering the CDs and knew the stuff, had the back catalogue and could give you some advice. And mm. it was that weird thing. It had the feel of the biggest indie around. But again, you're completely right. It, it was, I, was, I was the same for, for a long time. I had the indie record stores I liked supporting. And then it was weird that when HMV was starting to go down, it was like, no, save it. It's, like, uh, what? it's so, you know what, man? It's a, it's a faith I've found or like a something I've really found with comic books yes, is that uh, walking into like, like my favorite place in London now is I think Orbital Comics. Yeah. Uh, Orbital Comics, sorry. Uh, I've, I've only been in there, you know, five or six times, yeah. but like actually walking into a room where I have no idea what's good. Yeah. Or having like, and then, you know, through the process of a couple of, you know, a year or so of buying comic books now, you, and having that anticipation like yeah. they're released monthly yeah like it's like your favorite band puts out a record every month yeah. and you get to go to the place and like i have the same excitement that and there's a you know there's obviously a massive stigma that comes with enjoying comic books and i don't care i love yeah. it it's I've, it's become i mean i text you when i first started thinking about it and, yeah. and getting into comic books and you recommended a couple of things yeah. to me yeah and now it's like it's take. I, I love that feeling of walking into those rooms and all, like all of it f- uh, f- for me is exciting because of being kind of reasonably heavily into comics for about t- t- ten years now. I now all of it is one in particular that when I go in, I'm trying to clock the reaction of the guy at the counter as I put down my selections to kind of go like, eh. <laughs> Huh? Like I know the good shit, right? I'm not just getting the new. Huh? I'm still in that phase where where I put... they never give any reaction at no. all. But I'm like, I put mine down, and she's like, I'm buying like the Ed Sheeran and the Coldplay <laughs> yeah. parachutes of comic books yeah. at the minute. Oh, Judge Dread Volume One, Issue Brilliant. One. Wow, Josh, look at you. Um, and it's um, I've I it's to me it's that same feeling of record stores though when yeah. I was a kid and it's nice yeah. to have something like that as you because that you know it's it's not the same going on Spotify yeah it's not I, I just took all the Kenneth's really? music off of Spotify because I don't oh, really want yeah I just don't like this I went to one of their talks recently I've I've got a note here just quickly do not talk about Spotify no. are they a sponsor Spotify. Let's, Let's shit, shit on, on them a bit <laughs> because you touched upon it briefly on Stu's one and moved on because you didn't want to be negative. But it is a weird one. I've got all of all of the speech d- development stuff on Spotify, but but begrudgedly because yeah. that's where people listen to music. And it's a weird one because it has to be clear. I'm not against the people who use Spotify. Mm. I understand that. I do find it a, a little lazy because you'll have music outside of it and they won't go. Like I'll, I'll yeah. now people ask, is the podcast? going to be on spotify and i'm like it's literally two clicks to get it's to on the, podcast. the every iphone yeah. has a purple podcast yeah yeah, yeah it's, I get it it's, always, it's yeah. there and I, I literally i made an i've got a tweet i never sent in my saved tweets i was, I was looking I, I literally yesterday it just says look i used to have to go to my cd player eject the cd go, go over to my, my cds take out the one i want put that in and press play to get a change in music yeah. and you guys are annoyed with two clicks to get a change I mean, in music like, I don't want to go out of the I, you know and I'm not I'm not glamorising my childhood yeah at all because I there is a magic 
to going, oh my God, there's this Ted Heath recording from 1920 with this yeah, big yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I found this, uh, this song recently by the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, who's a 1920s composer, and the song is called If the Man in the Moon Was a Coon. Wow. And it's the most racist. Someone was talking about a racist lyric in a song, and I was like, well, actually, listen to this. Check this out. Yeah, yeah. And the idea is, if the man <laughs> in the moon were black, you wouldn't ever get the moonlight. It's the most racist right, concept yeah, for a song ever. hugely offensive, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, you, I found it on Spotify in eight seconds. So yeah. there is a magic yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the completely, fact that... Completely. I love the accessibility. I love that it's all there. So it's but, not the people. It's The issue that I have is that Spotify is a multi-million or billion dollar company and yet artists get paid such a small amount. And it's, it, for me, I always describe it as it feels like um, a legalised theft or, 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 or it's a subscription of, of, of guilt relief. Yeah. It's like, in a way, I'd kind of rather you steal my music yeah. than make someone else, someone else rich, rich off my music. Absolutely, yeah. We... we um... I mean, do buy my music, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I just find it interesting that the thing that, that, that really pisses me off about Spotify, right? I went to one of their talks in their building in mm-hmm. Soho, right? And the guy walks out with his, like, fucking Steve Jobs, you know? Yeah. Like, he's just walked on the moon. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, music yeah. plays, and he's like, hey, guys, help yourself to muffins and coffees and yeah. Twizzlers, and anyone want any, anything to eat? We're going to get lunch soon. All right, guys, let's yeah. get... And he's on a stage as well. It's just a talk in their yeah, office. And yeah. the guy's on a fucking stage. Get off your stage, mate. Like, like they are the rock stars. Right. And he does this... He talks about an artist who's doing fantastically well. And he says, you know, the way, uh, the way this artist broke is that he uploaded one song every month onto Spotify... And uh, we see, he submitted each song for playlist. Every song was great, so they made the playlist. Now he's averaging three million plays a month, and he's selling out you know, like these big venues in America. Mm. It's all because he was uploading one song a month to the playlist. And there's all these musicians who were like, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not very far ahead in, in the scope of what a career in the music business is, but these people are 15 steps behind me. These yeah. are like open mic acoustic guitar yeah. playing people yeah, yeah, who are yeah, doing yeah. you know who are coming up to london doing gigs in pubs and they're at the very beginning of their career and i know for a fact because i know the artist that he's talking about i know his management and spotify are paying for this guy they're paying yeah. for his billboards they're trying to break the artist by putting money into his career yeah, yeah, and yeah. trying to basically usurp the record label which is a legitimate uh, uh, experiment to do yeah, right yeah. But to then sell it to kids, like if they submit to Spotify, it will make their career, is a bold-faced fucking lie. Completely. And that is the the huge thing, the huge criminal thing I find about Spotify is that they're lying to to up-and-coming musicians. Because the reality is, is I think it's... But you're in control now. It's now all on you. Yeah. You don't need a label. You don't need this. I think it's six... 16,000 songs a day get uploaded to Spotify. Yeah. Their editorial playlists have, let's say, 500 songs a week. It's yeah. just not going to happen. And, and there's just as much nepotism from uh, record labels chumming. Like, when I walked through the office, I saw about four A&Rs that I know from major labels yeah. just there kissing everyone's asses. Yeah. And, like, it, it broke... It, I don't care that, that the record labels need to chum up to Spotify. I understand that. Mm-hmm. It's part of the game, right? Yeah, it's not completely. a nice part. But to be it was, lying... It was the same with 
a radios Absolutely. five years ago. There were people who were who were in with the producers of each show, yeah. and, and and you know that's fine. That's that's doing your job. That's yeah. that that gives the worth. So yeah. And, but yeah, and to but, but to be lying to up and coming uh, musicians, I found that like. So, so here's how simple it is, and I would say a thousand plays would not pay for that fucking muffin that he's offering. <laughs> Who was it that... And that's, stopped- the, that's a genuinely fucked up thing that, that you're sat there. It's like, oh, here's all this free stuff. It's like, how about you keep all of the fucking the catering yeah. and just give us a bit more, m- m- more money for our music that is earning you guys millions and has made you one of the biggest companies in the world. I was chatting to a... I don't want your fucking free muffins, <laughs> you prick. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know, man, if it's like a... I mean, I like I like muffins as much as the next <laughs> yeah. man, but I'd rather be p- paying for it off of a good royalty was, check. The, I was chatting to an ANR recently, and he was, you know, he just he said, you know, we've we figured it out. Actually, there's just as much money now in the music industry as there was in the '90s. Record labels are making just as much money, yeah. and I was like, yeah, because you're not paying any of the bands. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, there's always going to be the upper echelons of, of bands that will, you know, be able to buy mansions. Yeah. And they, but there just used to be a lot more people that used to be able to buy a flat. Yeah. And now, like, the the only musician I know that owns a house had to sell like three million albums Mm. to do it, to be able to buy a property. Yeah. And like, I I do think that, and in a way, that's sort of why, it's not really why I stopped doing the Kenneths, but it was definitely a contributing reason was like, I can't, I don't want to be 35 years old in a pub in Brighton getting paid 70 quid for a gig and selling my merch. Same attempt and hustle, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to move on to that, but just one last thing on Spotify, because I have people ask all the time. The reason I don't put the podcast on there is the only way I can put the podcast on Spotify is removing the adverts and the sponsors. And the adverts and the sponsors are the people who've kept this free for four years. And the people who mean I can pay... Buddy Peace, who, who produces this, and John, who does the social media, and, and Acast have given me a platform for, for this four years. That's how they get paid. So it's out of loyalty to them that I'm not willing to go on there. Because they'll earn a bit if it's on there. You'd get your, your fucking your percentage or whatever it is. But it's like, that's, that's a, a why it's not on there. Because I'd rather everyone who's worked hard to make this free for all the listeners who enjoy it every week, I'd rather they get paid than... Yeah. It's suddenly a tiny bit more convenient than than one more click to go. Yeah, but thank you for the muffins. It's mad. Yeah, the, mu- yeah, the muffin the basket. Muffins. I mean, you could pay them a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> well, I send up muffins every week. Um, so, uh, b- before we get onto the Kenneths, um, mm. when I met you, you were kind of yeah a singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, you would get mistaken for Richard Arwadi a lot. But because you had that style, you had kind of your bow ties and stuff, and it was all kind of acoustic-y. It was, it was Tweedy. It was equal parts rock and roll as pop and kind of a good mixture of, of those things. So how did you find yourself in that place, um, musically? Um, how did you feel that was, was where you needed to Do you know what? That, be? My, the beginning of me being a soloist and the Kenneths are exactly the same which is they were totally unselfconscious. Yeah. And there was just a bit in the middle where everything got a little bit fucked up. Mm-hmm. So I did, I moved to London when I was 18 and just did every gig that I could do. Yeah. I did every thi- and, and 
you know, it's one of the things I, I'm so, so grateful for now um, in, in, the, in the light of the YouTube generation of people who are signing deals off the back of having so much exposure and then having to learn stagecrafts. 100%, um, yeah. I'm so, so grateful that, like, I'm not the best singer in the world. I'm not the best songwriter in the world. I'm a fucking good performer. Yeah. And I know how to hold a crowd. And that's not arrogant. I've just done a thousand no, gigs. It, and it's true. I can, I can back that up. And I was, I was talking to Polar Bear about this, this last night. I was saying the weird thing about, about if I ever do music again is that one of the things that puts me off playing live gigs again is I've not played for four years now. Mm. So it would take a long time to get good again. And the fact is, we all had our years of being shit when there was four people in the room. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like we had I, years and years. I don't, of, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, we had no, but that's it. We, it does still. You, if you're, if you're proud of where you got to as a performer, it's part of that comes from doing it a week in and week out yeah. and getting really good. So a big gap. It wouldn't take as long, but still, there would no. be some work to be done to get to the level that I, I left it at. But it wouldn't be like it would be like. Um you're not walking out of the house barefoot. You're just walking out with your shoelaces untied. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 you, yeah. I get, yeah, I get, you're yeah. Like, it's all still there. You just yeah. need to re-figure out but it, like, it is, yeah. how to get it back. Which wouldn't, you, Yeah, you're right, but it wouldn't take long. But it is an advantage, I think, of... The, and it's uh, uh, something I said that these uh, YouTube blow-up kids, or, again, there's numerous different places that people have blown up over the years that they don't get is they're learning that stagecraft when they've already got a big... Yeah. crowd there and that can go really badly that can yeah. demoralize you that can put people off you you also shouldn't Whereas be judged we, yeah as well you shouldn't be judged for your first hundred gigs yeah you know yeah and um and, and again and it, although it's, it's hard work there it, is an advantage of doing yeah. those hundred gigs to small crowds because it's like no one gets to see you stumble and fall yeah by the time a large amount of people are seeing you you're fucking good. And also, you make the best friends. Like, how do we know each other? Yeah all, yeah. all the bands who I know now, musicians and comedians and artists who I know and love, who've become, like, very important to me in yeah. my adult life. Yeah. I met them when we were kids. Yeah. With acne in pubs. And it's like, fascinating because what you've said there has given me the first time I've realised how we all met as such. Because I've always said I loved it that... It was people of all different genres. It was yeah. all sorts of things, but we all just worked on these nights. What it was wasn't the, that we worked on these nights. It was that we were doing, we were all doing five or six gigs a week. Exactly. We were out there doing any night. We weren't going. And I've had mates who were in bands who I love dearly, who I've heard turn down gigs because they're like, oh, I looked at the headliner and, and they're not really our kind of thing and all that kind of thing. And I get that, but it's like, I never had any of that. I didn't look at I was like, right, am I allowed to play? Yeah. I'll, I'll be there from doors and you exactly. tell me when to go and, yeah. and that was it and that's what linked me, you, Paloma Kate Nash, Adele, Jack Peñate mm. Stuart James, Peggy Sue and the Pirates all of these people were just night after night yeah. oh we're on an, another bill together that's because there was a pub in London that wanted people to play yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be there yeah. <laughs> it's kind and of it's, as simple as that it, it was I mean, I moved to London, yeah, I was just 18, I had an acoustic guitar. I remember when I moved house, I had one box of stuff, mm. moved to Woolwich. I remember I cried the night I moved out. Amazing. Right, sat in my, on the sofa bed in the flat and cried. Yes. Yeah, no, <laughs> right? I've been and there, then, <laughs> I've been there on them things. And then just did every show I could possibly do. Yeah. And uh, whether it was 30 quid, and some of it was like, I did a gig in a pub, 
one of the Maccabees was there. Yeah. Two months later, I went on tour with the Maccabees. Yeah. And that's how that stuff worked. Whenever and I see, you know, we, we toured with Born Ruffians in, in July. Yeah. And someone came up to me and was like, how'd you do it? And I was like, well, I ran a club night when I was 18 and they had a song on the radio and I booked them to come when they were in England. Yeah. And now we're friends. That's genuinely and, how it works. And, yeah. and you'll have people and I have people all the time hit me up saying, asking for advice. Like, yeah. how do I break? How do I do? It's like, stop asking is, yeah. is the first, the first call. It's, it's one of the things that, that when I had Kate Nash on, that she, as she was saying as well, it's like, just go out there and start doing it. And then you'll meet other people and you'll all be driven by each other. You'll yeah. be motivated by each other. And that's how you do it. You get out there and just do anything you can to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's an odd one. You know, I did, I was never part of any scene. I never fit into any of those yeah. cliques. I was a little bit too much of this to be that and a little bit too much of that to yeah. be this. Okay, yeah. And I signed a deal when I was 21 with Universal in France. So I signed this big, I think it was the biggest, uh, the greatest, really the best uh, (laughs) deal. I had one gig in Paris. I went over and played in Paris at uh, Le Baron. Yep. Did you ever play there? No, I've been there, but yeah. No. And, um, and then off the back of that, got booked to play at the Cannes Film Festival. Wow. 2010, nine, somewhere like that. And then did Terry Richardson's party. Wow. After party at the yeah. Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Uh, before. How was that? Did he do anything <laughs> absolutely just... appalling? <laughs> did he do anything absolutely I, unforgivable? I How was that? I did not see him there. Right. And I had, this, I had this very weird night. Fuck that night. guy, just quickly. Just yeah. fuck that guy. Go on, as, c- continue. The beauty of podcasts. By the way, I wasn't supporting him by doing it. It, hadn't, yeah. it wasn't <laughs> no, out yet. Good. Yeah. He was good. just a photographer who was doing the bad stuff. Yeah. People weren't talking yeah. about it at that we point. We didn't know about it at that point. And I had this very weird night there. It was a very weird week in Cannes. And it's the most debauched place on earth. I'm sure it's not anymore. And, uh, you know, it definitely is. And, uh, <laughs> and then... Because of that, some singer-songwriter who was playing the Cannes Film Festival saw me. He took his lawyer to my next Paris show. And this wow. was Daft Punk's lawyer. Wow. So then this guy called um, Michel came to my Paris gig and bought every label and publisher in France to my gig. Damn. So then just record deals in France just were falling out of their asshole to sign me. It's amazing how that stuff can work in different it, countries yeah. at the right time. And yeah. then my, but then my manager sort of arrogantly went, well, you know, if France is offering, then uh, let's wait for England. Right, and, yeah. And uh, that was the, probably the first fuck up. Yeah. So we signed a publishing deal in France, and then I made this album with a big French producer, got kind of screwed over by him. Then the A&R left. Then my manager moved to New York, and it just kind of all fell apart. Yeah. And... Uh, all the momentum that I'd kind of built up, sort of, you don't see it when it's happening. No. And then I went and worked in a toy shop for four years. Wow. And uh, signed a big management, signed to a very big management company, big pop management company, and, and they were very much like, um, they saw what I was doing, mm. and all I'd done was tour as well. How, how are those extended periods of promise? Because that's kind of what you live off in the industry at that point. When there's, when there's a manager or a company or someone who are saying, you're about to be this guy. Yeah. Yet, until then, you're working in a toy shop or you're doing this or you're doing whatever else. But there's, it's such a common th- thing in the industry. And particularly if people around you, people are, are being bl- bl- blowing up 
like Paloma or whoever else, mm. there is that thing that, I don't know, I feel it can make you take your eye off why you started doing this and what absolutely. you love about this. Yeah, it absolutely. can make you always be, oh, over there is yeah. this is this, this, this rainbow. And you, you're kind of ignoring the fact that you're doing... 100 gigs exactly in, in, in the first half of the year or whatever and that's amazing and exciting but, 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 but at that point all of them are a stepping stone yeah. and you don't realise that you're already where when you were a kid that's where you wanted to be you're getting to do this and people are adoring it but you've got that that golden a ticket being waved at the back of the room you're like oh I'll be there in a minute I think for me like I, when I signed my that publishing deal in, in France we, not my manager, we made the decision not to sign a record deal there. Mm. And um, I agreed with that just as much as he did. Yeah, yeah. And then when that all fell apart, basically we spent the publishing advance. So, so, so for people who are listening who don't know the difference between a record deal and a publishing deal, yeah. a record deal is the ownership of your recording. So let's yeah. say you record a song, you put it out. The recording is the record deal. Yeah. The publishing, what that means is the publishing of a book. Yeah. And in the olden days, songs were written into books. So publishing is the slightly more ethereal concept of owning a song. Yeah. So let's say Universal own all of Adele's songs. Yeah. Sony can own all of her recordings. Yeah. Right? And if and I so, want to... And so the ones who own the recordings will be getting stuff from record sale, but the ones who own the songs will be getting a bit from the record sale because yeah. there'll be a mechanical in there, but they'll also be getting the payment from Airplay, from yeah. any sync deals in films, yeah. which again, it all kind of... If it's done right, it all feeds itself. Mm-hmm. If you get a big a, a, a sync deal, the label should be thinking, well, we need to make sure that we're promoting the record so yeah. we get sales off the back of that sync deal and so on and so forth. Exactly, yeah. I And my... I mean, it's the famous Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson story where they were right. shooting the video for... Um, what's that song? Mine, mine, the girl is mine. Yeah. That one. Yeah, 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 the girl is mine. There right. we go. <laughs> Closing the title, Josh. Yeah. And... Uh, and Paul was like, hey, Michael, you know, you know, you should get into like owning songs, publishing deals. Yeah. Yeah. And then Michael was like, hey, thanks, Paul. And then the next day bought all the Beatles back catalog. Yeah. Because it was up for, or the Sanity, next year. Right? But as soon as it was available. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and I had a big publishing deal and I didn't realize that the, traditionally what you're meant to do is you take your publishing deal and you live on it. Yeah. And my manager was like, let's get the biggest producer in France who produced all of these big, I mean, my fucking heroes, the yeah. artists that I loved, and we'll pay him your publishing deal money. Yeah. And the guy, my, the guy who signed my publishing managed this big producer. So he was like, I can get you this big producer. Yeah. But then when we were paying the record producer and his manager, that was the money that the manager had given me. So we yeah. were paying them back. Right, the yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, it's a little. It was like a little racket. money laundering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's 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 fascinating because again, a little insight thing there. An advance you get off a record label that is what should go towards recording Your album. a record, and an advance you get off a publishing in theory should be what goes towards you having the time to record an album, yeah. not having to work, not having to be in a nine to five exactly. to kind of go right. Here's what I do. Here's what I'm living off, and then here's the money to spend on that. They obviously. That was at a time that the record industry was changing a lot. Absolutely. And there was a lot of publishing deals going on that were b- the bigger than record label deals because the record industry was going, oh shit, people are going to stop paying for music. So, 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 so we can't in- in- invest as much. So as much as it might feel like the wrong choice now, it was, it was a very common choice at that point to go, well, let's sort our publishing. Yeah. And then 
a lot of bands would do self-releases and it'd be sneaky because it's really you're releasing on sony it's just that they're your publisher <laughs> and they've given you an imprint and helped you yeah. and you're going oh i'm just doing it all diy but you got given a hundred grand or whatever and yeah yeah and we did <laughs> yeah so we made this uh we made this record in france and then the mixes were terrible and we went back to the the producer and the manager were like hey these mixes suck mm. can we have the finished mixes and they went mixes it wasn't in the contract, and we just, it just got overlooked. Wow. So then it was like another eight grand of the advance to get these songs mixed. And by which point, the A&R that signed me left, and um, my manager, it all just, everyone just dropped their tools oh, and was like, fuck it, and like everyone just walked out of the shed. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, well, fuck, I need to, what do I do now? And then I got this offer from a very big pop management company who kind of wanted to turn me into a, I was talking about our shoes podcast, yeah. they, they were like, they were like, he's brown, he's got curly hair. Let's yeah. turn him into Bruno Mars. Yeah. And, amazing, um, right? You know, obviously Bruno Mars is phenomenally talented. A- aside talent. from being small and brown, I don't think no, we have man. anything else in common. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, I get you. <laughs> and, um, and then I did, lo- and they pulled me out of my, again, like I'm not, not uh, pointing fingers at them. It's not like, you hear so many people going, I got screwed by my label. Yeah. And it's not the truth. The truth is, is I wanted it just as much as they did. Yeah. They were like, hey. And we made some choices. If you rejig this, you can be huge. And at yeah. this point I was broke. Yeah. And was like, yeah, I'd like any money. Any yeah. money would be good. Would be cracking. So I, And again, it's that illusion that they don't, well, the moves that they suggested for you to make, yeah. they wanted them to pay off and work. Yeah. They're not some evil, they're not like, oh, we hate Josh, let's sign him and ruin his career and waste loads of money. Their hope those was days, for it all to turn into a Bruno Mars type yeah. thing and all that. I so mean, those days, you know, I mean, the record labels used to do that in yeah. the 90s. They used to sign five bands yeah. that all sounded the same. To, you know, there's that story to stop that... stop four and promote one, right? The Irish... Oh, God, the three sisters and the brother. The cause. The cause. Yeah. When, when Parlophone or whoever it was signed the cause who were a irish pop folk crossover band mm. that did like tra- trad irish songs but with pop choruses yeah. they signed all the other bands doing it right. and just shelved them all it's so like, that they, so that the so that the cause could like run to the finish line while, while the record label was holding everyone else back it's like liverpool in the 90s like liverpool in the 90s were known for signing players to stop other teams having them at yeah. points, to go, right, right, we've got our, our first team. And again, it's not always that. There's also, oh, they might turn out to be good, but often it was like, right, we don't want him playing our rival. Yeah. So let's snap him up while he's young, and they end up on the bench and nothing comes around. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same outlook, right? It's the same. Of... I mean, they're just, I mean, I like, uh, and people can judge me for this, but I love Formula One. Right. I just, I just love millionaires racing yeah, cars. Yeah, 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 you, know? you do. It's, I just love that when it's kids from your are, youth. It's from your youth. <laughs> it's from your youth with the song of when Brunei. When the kids of oil tycoons decide that they want to race in a car, and it's all good fun. And all their good, dads clean fun. buy them a place in a, you know, and uh, that's what's going on in Formula One at the minute. Like the, the, the drivers next year are all eighteen years old wow. because every team has gone shit. We can't have them racing for the big teams in two years. Yeah, let's sign them now to our little now. team. Yeah, yeah. it's bad. Um, Fuck, how, was that rela- how did that relate to publishing? But yeah, no, deals? they were trying to turn you into a Bruno Mars. Their plan was for you to mm. be. And it just obviously wasn't going to happen. I spent loads of time in Sweden writing with all these huge pop writers. Yeah. And like did like all the co-writes. And um, 
they were some of the most soul-destroying... I find right. co-writing a very weird thing. I've never done it. It yeah. fascinates me. I would like to at some point. Early on, I was asked to write some stuff for The Prodigy, mm. and I wrote some stuff, and I was too ignorant at, at, at that point. All I could write was Scroobius Pip stuff. <laughs> so I sent them a load of Scroobius Pip type when stuff. When was this? Like, as if, as if um, Keith Flint is going to do a Scroobius Pip type verse on a Prodigy track. It was... It was around 2007 or 2008, so it was just as we'd blown up and got a bit of hype. Mm. And again, now, I'm like, I could definitely... I, I love the idea of those, those kind of things. Of, but yeah, I never have. But how, yeah, what was it? Is it, it right in... You know, I cried, though, when The Prodigy was number one when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, no, I did. Firestarter came on top of the pops, and I cried tears of fear. It's terrifying. I cried because I was so scared of the video and for the state of the music industry as well. Brilliant. I I love it. That is a powerful single right there. It's making people cry in their living rooms. Oh, boy. Um, Um, But, yeah, so were you writing... For me. With people for you. For me, that's yeah, what's, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what sounds... And some yeah, of it was I great. Like, that. I don't think any of the songs were good. Right. I wrote a lot of my friend Simon, and we wrote our best songs, and that's what got me the deal in France. And then, and then I did, like, Guy Chambers. And, right, wow. And, and all of these, like, guys in Sweden that now have had, like, Swedish House. Like, Swedish... I wrote the fucking Swedish House Mafia guys. Wow. God, and, like, and the thing is, is... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and you then... I listened back to all my songs one Christmas... And it was like, you know, because you take on... No one says it when you, when you do a co-write. But the reason people co-write is because they want a chart hit. That's yeah, essentially, if you boil down what every co-writing point. session is, it's because people go, well, he can write a chorus. You know, I, I guarantee you, if you look to the top 40 right now, I would say 90% of it is co-writes, yeah, right? Yeah, completely. And that's fine. It has its place. It has its place in the industry. It has its place as a business. And I'm not judging it. But I, well, it wasn't for me. And, I, and you take on the identity of everyone you write with. And naturally, you, you know, you're, you're two sponges swishing against each other. So yeah. the water's going to be from a little bit of each sponge. Yeah, know? yeah. And uh, I listened back to all my songs one Christmas and was like, you know, one song sounds a bit like The Cure. One sounds like Swedish House Mafia. One sounds like Ray Charles. One sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, it was a Guy Chambers co-write. And it just had no fucking identity. Right. And it was all so desperate. Yeah. It was all so like... Just please, please like this. Deal. Yeah, please, please, please connect to this. And like, you can smell that shit a mile off. And yeah. like, I just, I fucking hated all of it. Yeah. So I quit and, and, and just was like, I'm done, done being a solo artist. Yeah. And that's when the Kenneths. It's, it's a big move, started. right? Yeah. And it was exciting uh, when I saw the Kenneths because having met you and booked you at one gig, um, where was that? It was in a record store. It was, a, it was, was a, it pure, pure, pure groove. groove. Pure Groove in Farringdon. Farringdon. And that's where the picture of us outside is from 10 or so years ago. And you had your hair going up and I had my beard going down and we were I'll t- just the opposite. One of us should tweet it when yeah, it comes yeah, out because yeah. we look like opposite. It's like guess who? It completely, completely. It's like if you flip a painting of someone upside down and it's the same, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah, look exactly. like complete opposite twins of each other. I love it. But um, So, yeah, I booked you for one of those shows and knew you as this... this a singer-songwriter in Tweed, and then when we'd talk outside of it, we'd be talking about Glassjaw, and we'd mm. be talking about Rancid, and we'd be talking about yeah, a look at our record stuff and Weezer and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, "All right, that's not what that's not what I got f- from you up there." Yeah. And again, not that that wasn't the real you. Everyone's got a lot of sides to them and facets. But when the Kenneths came about, 
again, it was another one that, that you went from this really distinctive kind of nerd chic looking kid to the most rock and roll looking dude ever. Yeah. Yet, as I was saying before, it didn't seem jarring, it didn't seem well, fake, it, it, it didn't seem false. It, it seemed to go, here we go. It was like a transition that took like four years as right. well. But it yeah, just, yeah, yeah. obviously, I, there was a gap of me uh, doing kids' parties and blowing up 200 balloons every yeah, Saturday yeah, morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and one of my mates who's a musician was going on tour. We lived together. And his band was doing really, really well. And he said, he was like, okay, he's like, let's set you a challenge. If you hate all your music and no one's listening to it, you might as well make what you want to make. Because then if no one listens to it, you're still making the music that you like. 100%. It's such an obvious thing to say to someone, but it all got so lost. Advice, though, yeah. Yeah. It all gotten so lost in this, this chasing a, a, a deal. Or a deal, chasing, a chart you know. position, all of that. Yeah, and so I just sat down and wrote what was honest, and what was honest was just these two-and-a-half-minute punk songs. Yeah. And then the Kenneths had a really fucking clean run for like three years where yeah. we couldn't really do anything wrong. And it's amazing to watch because... I mean, the, the thing that put us on the map was that we got the Warp Tour like after like 12 weeks of and being that was, a band. I was on your case immediately, like, you fucking prick. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that was just as I'd stopped <laughs> making music, and that was the one place I'd always wanted to play. I, I'd I emailed Kevin Lyman yeah. for you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. hit you up and we were... He, he kind of he showed a bit of an interest. I was genuine. I was like, I've kind of stopped performing. But at that point, tour, I was like, he? I yeah. might come back if it was the Warp Tour. Because, again, yeah. I remember reading about Sage Francis on the Warp Tour and POS on the Warp Tour and the, and the, the rap acts that, that won over the punk crowds that went out yeah. starting to get booze and piss thrown at them and then won them over and became the, the hits of the tour. I was yeah. like, I want that. I grew up as a punk kid, yeah. but then I became a rap kid. It's like, I know... Like it was, it was always Warp Tour and um, and Downloads that yeah. I, re- I really wanted to play because they were both. P- p- You've particularly done Downloads now. No, right? I never. Really? Had, particularly when I had my solo band and at Reading and Leeds we had the biggest circle pit I've ever seen in my life. Previously, it had been a, a rancid gig. I mean, I saw Obama's circle pit and it was much yeah. bigger. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's it. I was like, I was convinced I could with the band I had on that solo tour and how rowdy we got. I broke um, my ribs three times on that tour just from getting too rowdy. And I was like, I convinced I can go to download and have them all hating me at the start and loving it by the end because we'll go as hard as anyone and all that. But it never happened. But you guys, in your first year, right? You got to go and do... two years first. yeah. Oh, oh no, Warp, sorry. Warped, yeah. Yeah. Warp was one of those weird ones where... It seemed like you'd just started and it's like, I've got a new band. Oh, and also... It was pretty much. We're going on water. It was. It was a Yo. weird one. We did a we we did a music video before anything. Yeah. Sensible and uh, completely. I asked Leanne Havis to be in the video. Wow. So she played me in the video. Amazing. So then we put that out, and the song was a minute long, minute yeah. and a half long, and God bless her for doing it because all her fans were like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah. But and she's amazing, man. She, it, have you it, had her on here? She's dope. I haven't. I've never even met her, but she she's dope because. She's got her thing. She's had amazing success. She's knocked about with Prince. That just blows my mind for, for Mate, from I went top to, to bottom. But she, the fact is, she does her own thing. She will go, yeah, I'll come and do this, this video because I want to. Yeah. It won't be, I'll just check exactly. with these people or that people. It's like, she no, got yeah. us to open for her at the Royal Albert Hall, amazing. which was one of the greatest gigs of my life and just such a huge mistake for her. Yeah, like, completely. She, That's she a terrible wanted it to fit. be a band that she liked. Yeah. <laughs> 
she wanted it to be a band that she loved and art, some, you know, and a friend. And her label were throwing all these like diet Leanne's at her yeah, to yeah, open. Yeah, 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 And so she called me and was like, "Hey, I'm doing the Albert Hall in, in three months, two months." I went, "Yeah, yeah. Can I can I come?" She went, "Yeah. Do you want to open?" And I thought she was kidding for yeah. like ten minutes. Yeah, all right. And I emailed our booking agent and I emailed our manager and went, "Hey, we've just got an offer from Leanne to do the Royal Albert Hall. I'm going to CC you in with her so she can put you in touch with her agent so you guys yeah, can yeah. talk about it." Our agent and manager emailed back. They've taken Leanne out of the loop. And they say, don't do the gig because she's a soul singer. You're a punk band. This is the dumbest idea ever. Yeah, yeah. And I thought about it and was like, well, The Clash took all those reggae bands on tour. 100%. It's not quite the same. And also, when I'm an old man, do I want to remember having played the Royal Albert Hall? Yeah. Or do I want to remember turning it down because of my laurels? Yeah, no, like, completely. And so we did it. And again, it's the attitude that we were talking about of when you were a open micer or whatever you're yeah. doing any gig that you can get if anyone had asked you to yeah. do the Royal Albert Hall you'd be like you yes yeah. of course Jim Davidson yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's it unless Even there's someone that. morally you're against <laughs> but still you might take that as an opportunity to do a bit of an an MIA at the Super Bowl and exactly. stick a finger up and stuff like that yeah, yeah. get a nipple out yeah, yeah exactly and I, I did I, and also you know uh, from the thousand gigs however many hundreds and hundreds of gigs that came before it it wasn't a nerve-wracking experience. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to walk onto that stage and just enjoy this feeling of fucking Frank Sinatra yeah. stood on this spot. Yeah. And now this fucking idiot yeah. with his dumb songs about erections yeah. gets to do the same thing. Like, that's love it. insane. And like, who... And that, you know, that's, the, another, that's a whole other argument about... Yeah. The genres, no, there's no cross pollination in, in the way people play music together, or yeah, you know, and, and but yeah, and it's um, more exciting to take those risks a little bit. As yeah. I said, having a light version of what you're coming to see, ah, oh, skip that, but you know what, Have something like, completely different, ah, oh, that might catch your eye, exactly. And we got so much shit from it. I mean, yeah. they're some of my favorite tweets. I, I looked up, I looked them up recently, brilliant, and it's some of my favorite insults ever, yeah. And like, some woman was like. My daughter's crying at Leanne Havas. Who is this opening band? Brilliant. And um, that has to go on a poster at some <laughs> point. And... and she knew it was going to be a disaster, but it doesn't matter because no. it was an honest evening. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I Warp Tour was uh, three years before Warp Tour. I did Hard Rock Calling mm-hmm. and got hammered with some guy from Hard Rock afterwards. Turns out he's now one of my close friends. And when the Kenneth started, he went, "Hey, send me a demo." Yeah, and I sent him my demo, and they had a stage at Warp Tour, and he sent it to Kevin Lyman, and Kevin Lyman booked us. Wow! And Kevin Lyman looked up after us to the point where we got paid like so. Warp Tour was fifty-two shows Madness. in forty-two days or something. Yeah, man. Mate. Yeah, in that heat and that, yeah, in that, you know, in, in basically, it's either desert dry heat or yeah. humid. Like and, f- a, and, and festival as well. Yeah. I mean, I've done some. All out tours books. where it's a lot of shows but it's your gigs so even though it's rough and killer it's yeah. your gigs this is yeah. here you are turn up and play and people might hate it people yeah, yeah. and we did and he, but he looked up he put us on a production bus so we didn't have to worry about getting ourselves across Amazing. the country yeah and he gave us like something like 750 pounds a show it's fucking so that paid for like dude, flights man. visas and then we yeah. made a load of like the one thing that we managed to do on that tour was we won everyone over as like the DIY British punk band. Yeah. Purely by accident. Right. 
because they went, you know, we were, we were going to America, so we thought, shit, we better get some merch made. So we made one T-shirt, one CD. Yeah. And then the thing with Warp Tour is every band on Warp Tour has two or three crew with them. Yeah. They have the TM, they have the merch guy. And then, you know, the, a day on the Warp Tour is this, right? You wake up at 6.30 in the morning. You get off, off your bus or out off your van or your, your sleep or whatever it is. And then you try and find the stage because the stages are all traveling stages. So sometimes the stage is 100 feet from your bus. Sometimes yeah. it's a mile away. Yeah. Around the back of the bus is the trailer. You pull all your merch out of the trailer. Yeah. Which at this point, when we got there, we didn't have a, tra- we didn't have a, a trolley or anything. Yeah. So we had to buy all the stuff in a Walmart. Brilliant. And then they have drop-off points on the tour, so every 10 shows you go to pick up your merch. Which yeah. sounds easy, but when it's three miles away and it's 42 degrees, yeah. it becomes a fucking ordeal. Yeah, 100%. So we pull the stuff out, we take it to the stage, you have a dogfight with everyone around your stage about you know how, who gets closest to the stage that day. Because right. you want people to not have to look for your merch stand yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then you go get some breakfast, catering, and then you wait for your stage time. You have a different stage time every day. Wow. And then when your stage time's announced, you have like 500 flyers that we got made every day of the show. And then you write down your stage time on each flyer. Then you go out into the crowd. You give the flyers out to the thousands of people in the crowd, try yeah. and persuade them to come to your gig. Come see us. Then you go back to your bus, cool down, get ready to play. If you're on at three in the afternoon, you know, you chill out for a bit or you go watch some other bands. Yeah. You go get your instruments, walk it all to the stage, warm up, play for 35 minutes, sell merch for three or four hours, pack it all down have a solar shower, which is a, a, it's a plastic bag that you put on the bus Amazing. at the start of the day that yeah. would warm up with water, wash yourself down, oh, wow. get on the bus, do that another 51 times. That's insane, isn't it? And uh, so it was like, you know, we, we definitely earned our stripes on that tour because after a week or so, a month or so, all the bands were like, yeah, this band doesn't have anyone doing their stuff. They're doing it all. They're doing it all themselves. And they're like, and we were like, yeah, yeah, we just, you know, we're a punk band. We would lie through our teeth. It was just, right, well, we just no one we told just didn't us. Know we meant to do no one told us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had one t-shirt design, which was like, to them was the most punk rock. Yeah. It's like, you know, you guys got one t-shirt, man. It's so punk. And we were like, yeah, it's yeah, 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 totally good. on purpose. Yeah. I love it. So, I mean, there's more I want to, I'd talk about in the Kenneths, and we're over the hour mark, but oh, we'll just keep going as no, long we'll as we can. We'll burn through. We'll burn through. Um, one of the things I want to quickly touch upon is when you talked on hardcore listing, mm. and one of the songs that came up was "I'm the One" up by Descendants. the Descendants, and it killed me that Stu and Chris didn't seem to have any knowledge of it because it's 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 one of those classic kind of yeah. inspire you as a kid yeah. punk songs. Um, are you familiar with a, a Leatherface? Uh, the band. The band, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, not, not a day goes by is, is, is mm. my I'm the one kind of thing. It was that thing that was yeah. like, I found it way after it had come out and then realised it had come out in like 91 and it, and it had influenced a lot of your lookout type bands. And they're just some band from Leeds. And the only reason I found them was I was on tour in Berlin and we had a day off and my tour manager guy was like oh I'm going to see this punk band and he knew I was into punk I was like yeah I'll come along and I've never heard of Leatherface and they just blew me away in their like 40s or 50s and and not a day goes by was just one of the most perfect pop punk or skate punk or or whatever you want to call it that isn't derogatory um, songs I've ever heard so how were those songs for you growing up things like The Descendants yeah finding The Descendants was like because you got a Descendants 
yeah. tattoo and they, yeah, they yeah. mean the world to you, It was a right? pivotal moment in my childhood was punk rock, I think. And, and, you know, all my friends were listening to really aggressive, politicized, you know, Strike Anywhere yeah. and Rise Against mm-hmm. and Pennywise, Lagwagon. Yeah. Not so much Lagwagon. But for me, it was always the melody and actually Descendants are really good pop writers as 100%. well. Like yeah. they have unbelievable choruses and and just in their songs. connectable in yeah. their writing. Whereas, again, I completely agree. There was a point where everything was quite political, or it was very much about a certain part of LA, your Orange County, or your whatever yeah. else, and all this kind of thing. And the Descendants came out, and I mean, I'm the one's the perfect example because it's just about that girl who isn't giving you any attention. She, she, she's your mate, but she's yeah. with these piece of shit guys. Yeah time after time and you're there like what the fuck what's wrong <laughs> it's, look I'm, I'm right here yeah. and you're going on I'm, you're coming and crying on my shoulder and you're saying what pieces of shit they are but I'm literally here and I'm a I am a man yeah. I'm a boy what's yeah. going on and that was just stuff like that was just so relatable and they were one of the first ones to have that kind of yeah, yeah type, type sound of vocal that I'd heard that then it was your green days everyone that came after them um, they, screeching weasels at that I point I mean you like wouldn't that. without the descendants you wouldn't have green day you wouldn't have blink yeah yeah and, and, and so uh, pop punk wouldn't exist yeah the descendants were really I mean obviously the Ramones but the descendants were the first sort of uh, SoCal punk band that were not yeah politicised yeah they were singing about girls and, and food and yeah. nerd culture, you and know? And SoCal's so, so the key part there, because the Ramones felt so New York yeah. and so gritty and so serious. Yeah. And it was the Descendants who then spawned all... Yeah. Again, I still unashamedly have Green Day as one of the bands that have influenced my life yeah. more than anything. And they went in and out of fashion and so on and so forth. But those records at that time meant the world. And it was then looking back and finding the influences yeah. that... Exactly. I mean, you could say the same, you know, the first... Four REM albums, first four U2 albums, but you know, with the, before they broke, they're very different bands to what they are now. Yeah. And, you know, Green Day are the same. The, you know, uh, I think Nimrod's one of my favorite albums yeah. ever, or yeah. the opening track certainly is. Yeah. And with The Descendants, I mean, you know, because we, we did a record with Bill from The Descendants. Yeah. He, he produced uh, Double N. That's, that's where I wanted to go with this, how the, the, the get through a few of the, how the fuck did this happen moments mm. that seemed to all come with the Kenneths. Yeah. It seemed to be that yeah, yeah. it was with those guys that I'd see you announce a tour support with a band that I know that b- both of us grew up listening to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you've dropped it all casual. Like, oh, we're supporting this band. It's like... I was yeah, freaking out. Yeah, climbing the walls. And it was, that. So, it was when we and did, working yeah. with, with Billy from the... T- t- yeah. yeah, that must have been one of the first Mate, my, kind of... There's what? so shit where I would... You know, well, I looked to the side of the stage... And, you know, uh, summer before last, and was like, "Fucking Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine is watching our set," and you're right, like, "This is," right. f-. and then like, you know, Juliette Lewis doing that, and then doing The Offspring, and like all of these things that were yeah. like, like huge for yeah. me as a kid. And um, Descendants and, was um, less than Jake as, as, than as Jake. well, right? Yeah, that was a these. big one. Hello, Rockview was one of the first albums I ever bought. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and we did. Uh, on Warp Tour, our man, our then manager, had known Bill. Uh, she managed Rise Against, right? So Bill had produced three Rise Against albums, right? So she sends our stuff to Bill, and then I wake up in like Cheyenne, Wyoming, and 
have an email that says bill at descendants.com. And I was like, what the fuck? And I mean, I just, you've just given away his email address, but, <laughs> but sure. Something like that. <laughs> Shit. Um, and, uh, That's mad. And then he right? flew over to England with Jason, his engineer, and we, pre- and we did four songs, five songs together, and that was the third EP. How quickly did you uh, show him your tattoo? Last day. Last day, yeah. You've got to hold off on this This is a good Bill fact for you. So Bill um, is obsessed with uh, Cole Porter right. and Irving Berlin wow. and all yeah, the yeah. Uh, Tim Pan Alley you know, jazz standards, musical yeah. songwriters. Wicked. And that's a real common thread. Once you know that and you listen to how the Descendants structure their songs and how, yeah. and how much he's about the chorus and the melody, yeah. it makes total sense that he loves Kiss Me Kate. Yeah. You know, and he's this Bill should not, you know, he's had a brain tumor, wow. uh, a triple bypass, blood clots in his feet that traveled up and blocked oh, his lungs. Man. And he's the most punk rock motherfucker you'll ever yeah. meet. And, and he's just the nicest guy that will, uh, you know, part of his brain tumor was that he apparently doesn't, he can't smell anymore and he doesn't get hangovers. Wow. So he just does not stop drinking yeah. when you go out. God damn. And he's, you know, and he's still in Black Flag. And, you Amazing. know, he was in the Lemonheads. And, yeah. like, and then he came and did our dumb record. And, like, it was, yeah, it was... Mind-blowing, right? Yeah, and then we got to do, you know, we opened for them. And it was, uh, yeah, that's, like, that's something that I can smile at on my yeah. deathbed, you know? So, so why did it come to the end uh, with the Kenneths? Because this is it's, 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 it's quite a new thing. It'll be, it's, like, three weeks ago? It's, it's three, and when this comes out, it'll be a, a month yeah. or two. Hang on, wait. We'll, but cut, yeah. we'll cut that out. It was like two months ago. It seemed so. it, it seemed to come out, out of nowhere, and it's always that thing of anyone that you're you're, you're, you're following through social media, mm. you're not following the real world. You're following yeah. a blurred version. But from what I'd kind of seen, I all I remembered was all these amazing like, oh my god, yeah, you're yeah, playing yeah. with these people, you're doing that. So for me, it was going ridiculously well. Again, I've been on the other side of that as well. I've mm. known when. The perception is we're the biggest band in the world, and the reality is we're touring in a tiny van, and yeah. we're just trying to make ends meet. So, I think. So, what called? What brought it to an end? It, what brought it to an end was um, the, every record. Every record we put out, we set ourselves a different goal. The goal was um, put out. You know, the first record was let's do some touring. Second record was. You know, let's try and get to America. Let's try and find a manager. Let's try and find a booking agent. And we did it, and, and we put the record out, and we got it. Yeah. And the third record, you know, we were we thought, well, let's find a producer that we love, and we got Bill Stevenson. Yeah. And fourth record was, you know, let's work with a, a producer that we love, and let's try and get a record deal. And we got Ben Babti to produce it, who's one of the best producers in Britain. Yeah. And um, and no record deal came. Right. And the amount of radio play that the record got, you know. Um, we got a lot of Radio 1, we got a lot of 6 Music, uh, we got a lot of we got playlisted on Radio X, I think playlisted on 6, and it just didn't connect. Mm. Uh, it didn't get the Spotify playlisting, it didn't get it. No matter what we did, whether it was the song was on a Doc Martens album, the song was on Made in Chelsea, the song was on Radio 1, like it, none of it was connecting. We weren't getting on the tours that we wanted, no yeah. labels were taking a punt on the band. Yeah. And then our agent dropped us, um, he took on uh, some big American rapper um, and 
didn't have time and uh, the we were with an agency uh, that got bought out by a bigger company and they right. just cut the rosters of the right. bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just and he you know he, I, I could tell he felt terrible about it and then it's just business. But um, I've, I'd been through that as a solo artist where yeah. I saw people dropping the tools yeah. and being like, yep, not happening. Yeah, and it got harder and harder to get in touch with our manager. And it got harder and harder. No booking agent would take us on. And, you know, even the ones that I thought we could walk into. Wouldn't. Yeah. And it just made me look at the project and go, well, what is it? What's fundamentally yeah. jarring with this that's making people not want to take a, a yeah, risk? I get you. And having been through it, I just, I kind of figured, well, in two years, I'm going to be breaking the band up anyway. With yeah. The trajectory of things are going. Yeah. So fuck it. Like, I might as well move on to the next thing. Yeah. Now. Yeah, and makes sense. And it, you know, I still don't feel, I still don't feel sad about it because I'll, I, all I'll do is, you know, I have enough. I'm very lucky to have fallen into a couple of other really good things, and it's only um, sad if you quit. I think. Yeah. And actually, what I'll, you know, you, I'll take the experiences from the chemist and I'll put the mistakes and the and the good bits into the next thing. Yeah, so. and it's that beautiful thing. I think there's something. So valuable, and it's stuff that I've gone through in recent times. So, so valuable of choosing to do something. Yeah. So I'm going and doing this because this is my choice, not because it's falling apart or it's got to this point where this has happened or that. It's, you've got to the point where you've gone, right, it's going all right. It's not where we, we want it to be, but I'm going to walk away now because yeah. I want to f- focus on this rather than, oh, I've dragged it out to its last, <laughs> its last bit. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. It's, it's making that choice so that you know that the things you are doing instead, you're there because you want to be there, not because, oh, I've got to do something. Yeah. I've got to f- fill this gap. That's exactly what it was. I knew that, um, and, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't connecting in the way that we did the Born Ruffians tour in July and we did Glasgow and we played Glasgow 15 t- times in the last mm. three years. And there was no one there to see us. None of the fans right. came to the show. And the band made a few categorical errors with the team we put around us. And, you know, we assumed that our audience was a lot younger than it actually was. Right. Our That's demo was 25, 20 to 35 for the people who actually listened to our songs. Yeah. And our, and our team were like, you know, oh, your fans are 12 to 18. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. pushed it as a pop punk thing. Yeah. Which it wasn't pop punk. It was, no. it was punk rock, but it was, yeah, yeah. you know, m- melodic songwriting. Yeah. And by the time we were like, oh shit, our fan base is actually a lot older, it was too late because the older people thought that's for kids. Yeah, yeah. And, and the kids hadn't connected with it. Right. Okay, so, yeah. you know, once you've made that mistake, you can spend a bunch of time trying to fix it or you can just fucking try a new thing. So, you know. Can walk away from it. Well, I'll start to wrap things up now. Yeah. Um, what on this list of things here can we actually talk about of what you're doing next there's a little ignore the last one oh, uh, that's just a real question <laughs> so <laughs> the, bo- the last qu- the statement is I'm better at this than Stu yeah yeah, yeah. that's just that's I mean we're not finished clear. yet let's see how it wraps yeah. up uh, so next so I have a this is the first this is because I know there's a lot of things coming I and think, I don't know yeah. which ones you can announce I know I so I, this isn't coming out for a few weeks so yeah, yeah. I mean I don't uh, the stand up thing was not something I wanted to go into because I don't want people to think that um, that, you think that I want to be a stand-up. No, it, there were yeah, just a few I just would hate to be 40 and have not tried, tried to hone yeah, it, yeah. you know. 
and I want to get good at it. Yeah. And it's not a career choice, it's purely for me. Yeah. And we've had experiences with the Kenneths where I've walked away from the gig going, what won the audience over there? Was it the songs or was it me chatting yeah. shit? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm just exploring that avenue. It's a beautiful um, one to explore because it is, it's, it's such a fine line and the, the only way you can find out is by going out there and doing oh, what you're doing. Because there's been points where, or I've seen bands who the reason they're getting laughs is because it's their fans yeah. and they're there. And I've seen other bands that I'm like, that would get laughs in any room. Exactly. And it's such a, it's impossible for you to know yeah. uh, which one that is. Yeah, Am I getting laughs because they're, they're into me, they're into us, or because it's, it's funny. So I and like I, that. And, going it's, to find you know, and I'm going to suck at it for a long time, but yeah. then I won't suck at it. And then yeah. and that'll be a nice... Yeah. a nice place to be at yeah but uh, no I have a comic book coming out yes on and that's the... what's exciting that's kind of what we've held off on this podcast yeah. a little bit because we, we wanted to be able to talk about that and there was this is the, uh, this is the announcement Excellent. this is an exclusive exclusive I yeah. love it this um, I have a I signed a deal with College Humor's Dropout Comics yeah so college I pitched an idea for a comic book to College Humor yeah in November yeah of last year and they read my pitch and liked it and I was worried that I wouldn't get the job I I found out that my comic book was up against the two guys who did Rick and Morty so I was down to the last two of this group Lord. so I sent a fake bribe to the boss of College Humor who I've never met <laughs> I sent him $10 and a dashboard confessional CD amazing right? amazing and that got and then I and then I just finished the tenth, overall value of $8 the, the first series of my of my first comic book wow called, which is called Die Already Die Already which comes which is out October 15th amazing. whenever this comes out that would yeah. be the date that the first one is out that's exciting right it's I've really s- exciting you've sent me a few little a, a little image of I mean, how I some sent, of it looks and, yeah. yeah I sent you a, a text when I got the yeah. the offer being like yeah. mate I've never read a fucking comic book yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally go dude I've got I this comic deal fraud. I don't know how to, I've never asked, can you recommend someone like, just yeah. like yeah the preacher <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it with me here's where you need to go <laughs> But yeah, how, how exciting is that? It's, so, what's the kind of what kind of comic it's, book is it's, it? What it's is a, the? It's a it's an action uh, based black comedy or dark Brilliant. comedy, yeah. and it's and it's. Um, I mean, I'm very lucky to have had uh, Gabby Epstein illustrating it, and she's right. one of the. She's so talented, yeah. and like totally gets my humor, and in a way, it's my tribute to the action movies of the 80s yeah. as well the predators the diehards yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of that in there there's a lot of in jokes i wrote the kenneths into it amazing um, and it's about a guy called richard dink who is a recovering alcoholic who wakes up one day and this consortium of hitmen are trying to kill him amazing and it's him and they're all very real hitmen one is an uber driver Brilliant. Uh, one, one is one is the Kenneths who only make eleven dollars a month on Spotify, so they have to kill people to make up for the brilliant of course discrepancy in their rent. Yeah, I love it. And then there's a guy called the reviewer who used to work at. We had to call it the New New Yorker, right? Um, and uh, but Prince dead, so he has to kill people. There's someone called the Auntie who is a woman who her husband's left her. She refuses any alimony from him. She wants to reclaim her independence because she got married in the seventies when reasons for getting married were 
it's very different to what they are now. So she's yeah. not. So she's killing people to reclaim her independence. I love There's it. A, a hipster chef called Jacqueline Pistolet. Amazing. Um, and it's all these very real hitmen, and they're all uh, chasing down Richard Dink, and yeah. they are part of a consortium of hitmen in a world where there's different levels of yeah. hitmen guilds, basically. Yeah. And it's Richard Dink trying to figure out why people why are trying to kill, to kill him. him. I love it. And, and, and it's he... so hard to not give away the ending. And I had a conversation with my editor yesterday saying, yeah. do I tell them what happens? And she was like, no, what are you... No, no 100% not, you idiot. If M. Night Shyamalan had been like, yeah, he's dead. He's dead, by the way. <laughs> Just a little thing. It's a village, but it's modern times. It's about this dead guy. Um, <laughs> that's exciting. It's hugely exciting because there's been a few attempts in recent years in film to go back to your die-hard, your predator-type hero, and mm. n- n- none of them have hit for me, because in film, it always feels like it's modern. Yeah. It always feels like it's trying that, but comic books have a way of feeling r- retro in their very nature. Yeah. So it kind of it excites me that I've not really seen anything that goes in that area or in that direction. It ex- excites me the idea of that, to get your teeth yeah. into something that... Because I love comic books, but I know that... S- certain areas of graphic novels now have gone amazingly highbrow mm-hmm. and that can be dope but also it can be daunting at points because mm-hmm. you're like right I've, I'm going to have to get through this this <laughs> is very clever and other areas it's characters who've been around for years and years and years and this feels like it sits in that middle bit of like it's it's going to be fun it's yeah. going to be an enjoyable uh, a ride that we take you on and that it's it's a really it's a fun read it's light-hearted and i think hopefully sentimental and um it's i'm really proud of it i'm really proud of the you know one uh, one of my favorite characters is is going back to the 80s action films is uh a hitman and richard dink's best friend his name he's a his name is blaine mcdillon dutch right great name army patriot american guy struggling with alcoholism they support each other in aa but Blaine McDillan Dutch, like Blaine Mac Dillon and Dutch, are the four main characters in Predator. Amazing. So when I was like, what do I call this guy? I was like, I'll just call him everything that those guys are. I'll just I love give him it. all of their names. That's genius. I love things like that where you're going to be able to just hunt for little. There are so little many Easter eggs in this comic it. book. Yeah. A lot of, there's a few good descendants hidden things as well. Amazing. In there. Yeah. I can't wait, man. Well, I'll, I'll wrap things up there. Is there anything else that you need to, like, where can people find you on socials and things? I'm sure that that's where you'll be pushing everything from. It's just Josh, if you just Josh Weller. Yes. It, I guess, yeah. And excellent. Well, thank you very much. Mate, thank for, you very, uh, very much for having for me. Coming along and chatting. It's been an absolute joy. And it's better than really Stu good. Wright. More enjoyable than. Well, well, you know, more, each case on the merits. Yeah. Pip. You know, the fact that I didn't have the crutch of, of a top five or, or these seven songs from when you were growing up, you know, it kind of puts me above. You sound self-conscious the, and you sound defensive and you sound like, yeah. <laughs> the fact that I've fallen back on referencing his podcast about 12 times shows how dope his podcasts are, so I can't You're I can't both genuinely very argue. talented young men. Thanks, Mum. There we go, that was Josh Weller. Um, I'm going to keep the outro brief, because the intro was long as hell. Um, I love Josh. 
do check him out and do follow all of his stuff and get his comic that's coming out incredibly soon. I can't wait to read it, so that's dope. But there'll be tons on that on um, on Josh's uh, social media. He, he texted me the other day because he did his first post that's kind of hinting at the comic or the stuff that's to come. And it's a huge deal for him. He's been working on it for a long time. And the post got like 12 likes. But if he posts a picture of... His words were a cat playing with a dildo. It gets a few hundred likes. Um, and it's the wonder of social media, isn't it? A real kind of, look, guys, I'm really excited to announce this. I've been working on this for so long and I've had to keep it quiet. And people are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but go and follow Josh and show him the good the good following of Team 3W, of the Distraction Pieces crew. Let's, let's give you some information on what's to come. Oh, man. On next week's one is one of my favourites. It's with Desiree um, Akavan, and she has got a new series starting on Channel Four next week on October tenth. The podcast comes out the, the day the show starts. It's called The Bisexual, and it's brilliant. It's with uh, Maxine Peake, who I adore, and now I adore Desiree Akavan. I I wasn't really aware of her for some reason until the podcast came about, and I get pitched a lot of people, and I kind of I turn a lot down, but um. This one came through and they sent me a link to one of her films and I watched it and I was like, man, that's really good. And they added a link to another one. I watched that. I was like, that's that's really good as well. And then I watched a couple of episodes of the, the, the series. I'd preview links. I was like, this woman is the is brilliant and is amazing. So, so yeah, it's very exciting. You're going to love it. The week after that, I'm doing you a double because I've got so many recorded and you deserve it, man. You've been... Been waiting for this one for a while because I've teased it, but Dr. Kate Devlin, author of Turned On, um, which is kind of a history of, 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 of sex robots or robots, sex, sex toys, AI, all that kind of thing. Really good episode. Um, and that week I'm going to give you a Friday one too because I sat down and chatted with Gizzy Erskine, um, who's a great cook and just amazing, interesting. Oh, Oh, a woman. We got into some stuff that she's not talked about anywhere else, and that was was fascinating. And then after that, um, finally, I'm going to g- give you the epic Beardmen one, Sage Francis and B. Dolan. It's tough because things move around a lot. Again, the Patreon lot hear this a lot, but things move around a lot because I'll have a podcast guest come in that's got a specific thing that they want to promote. And as you as you've heard from the podcast, I told I said this outro would be short. I lied. Um, as you know from this podcast, even if they're promoting us as, as something, we go all over the place. I don't do these 10-minute, here's, here's, here's an advert. We talk about everything. But if they do have something specific that they want to draw attention to, that I'll plug in the intro or outro, um, then we go on specific dates. And that just means that the ones that don't have specific time scales, like the Sage and Dolan one, Sage and Dolan finished their tour, and they're now kind of off until the end of, or the beginning of the new year. So there's no rush on that one. It's it's one of the best conversations I've had. It's two of my genuine closest friends in the world. So, yeah. So that'll be coming out before the end of October. Um, I'm going to be end... I'm potentially going to be ending October with one of the biggest guests I've ever had. But as ever, I don't want to announce it until I've recorded it. I've been lining it out for years. Um, I've got it scheduled to be recorded... As as this as you hear this next week, so um, if it happens, 
I might announce it. I'll definitely I'll post it on the on 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 the Patreon, patreon.com slash Scroobius Pit. But yeah, it's one of the biggest guests I will have ever had, and it's someone who I don't think has done m- many podcasts. I've not seen that many interviews with them. So yeah, that's exciting. But yeah, some good ones to come. Um I'm gonna go head to speech com if you want to spend some of your uh, your payday earnings. Um, other than that, I'll see you next week for free, as ever, as I'm joined by Desiree Akavan in one of my favourite chats I've had. And yeah, tons more to come. Ta-ta! Oh, and big love to Buddy Peace and and, and, and Lady H, who recently got got engaged. And it was a beautiful thing, and it brought a tear to my the eye that is fueled by my cold, dead heart. So, um, yeah, big love to those two beauties. Um, I'll see you all next week. Bye.